Welcome to the Together Podcast, a God TV production. My name's Ian Young and I'm the Operations Director here at God TV. Well, today we're discussing a fantastic topic. We're discussing end time theology. I've got a wonderful friend, uh, pastor, uh, end times teacher. I know that's not all you teach on. Um, Matt Timms. Matt, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you today, mate. It is. I'm really excited about today. We've already had a brilliant chat before we started, yeah. um, but we're going to be talking about end times. Before we talk a little bit about who you are and why people should trust you and, you know, have their discernment about whether your teaching is a load of nonsense or not, Matt. You know, I, I, I advocate for you. You've got a wonderful family and a whole wonderful heart for God and, you know, real um, heart for him. But Matt, what, what do we mean when we talk about end times, you know, for anybody that's maybe not a Christian or a new Christian or Christians that have never been taught about it? What what are we talking about when we say we're going to discuss end times theology? Mate, that's a great question to start off with. I mean, the Bible is quite clear. In fact, one third of the Bible um, is made up of prophecy, not exclusively end time prophecy, prophecy about Jesus's first coming. Mm. And then there's a whole bunch of prophecy. The Bible has quite a lot to say um, about the events leading up to Jesus's second coming. And so this is what hopefully we're going to be tapping into today. Um, whenever we talk about uh, end times, the, there's a Greek word, the eschaton, the, the, the eschatology um, is the study of the last days the end times why, why is it called the last days though like you know because um i understand the you know second coming of jesus let's say you know jesus said he's going to come again right like but why is it the end times because that sounds pretty terrifying it sounds really really hectic and actually um i i kind of prefer to call it the end of the age um because it's not like oh the the times are going to stop and that's it you know when jesus comes back um, to the earth, it's actually to establish a whole new era. Mm. Um, we'll hopefully be tapping into a bit of that today, which is, Jesus refers to as the, the millennial kingdom, the thousand year rule and reign of Christ upon wow. the earth. So it's not the end times. You know, a lot of these kind of doomsday preachers are like, you know, preaching about that, you know, it's the end of the world. Well, it's, it's not technically going to be the end of the world when Christ comes back. Um, it's, it's going to be to establish his kingdom on the earth. Yeah, wow. Now that sounds more exciting, but but I also know because I've done a little bit of reading, you know, about the end times that there's some scary stuff in there as well that we're going to get into, um, including what you just talked about. So for anybody listening, you know, please do hang around or fast forward to the exciting bits because that's what people do. But but my, I, I'm also really interested in who you are and your heart and you know how did you meet Jesus? Just because really I want to know why you know why should we trust Matt Tim so like who are you what do you do and how yeah. did you meet Jesus yeah mate great so my name is Matt Tims um I'm married to uh, Sally Tims and we have two beautiful hi to Sally big shout out to Sally yeah, and kids. come on yeah <laughs> so yeah we have two children uh, Eva and Judah we live in Cornwall um and together we call ourselves a family on mission so we're pursuing uh, Jesus together we're pursuing the calling that he has upon our lives 
um, at this precise moment in time. That means that at the, our ministry is outworked within the context of leading a faith community, leading a church called Wave House Church uh, in Newquay. Um, we've got like different activities and missional stuff, uh, serving the community in, in a myriad, myriad of different ways. Um, but our heart is that people encounter uh, Jesus because we believe that he is the only hope uh, for the world, we believe that without without him, we are we are lost. And thankfully, he 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 rescued um, he rescued me many many years ago um, from from a life of just pursuing my own dreams, my own desires, my own passions. Yeah, well, I definitely want to hear your testimony, but I'm also interested in like how does a family get like a mission statement? Like how did that like come about? Like oh, I can't imagine how that conversation would happen. You know, in, in the home. Like how how did you come to family on mission as your sort of family catchphrase. It's really nice. Like, a yeah. Look. But like, you know, how did that happen? Yeah. Know? So um, a few years back in about 2012, we were serving as the youth and assistant pastors at the church that we're now, funnily enough, senior leaders of. And the Lord called us out to go and plant a church in um, in, in a small community called Perrinporth on the north coast of Cornwall. And it was as we journeyed out of a very established church to plant not just a church, it's a, theoretically to plant ourselves in the community mm. um, as a family that carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Um, it was like, well, my kids are just as much a part of this story, of are, part of this yeah. journey. So we we kind of built a, a model of church that was around the table. It was very that sort of incarnational mission. So going to where people are, um, to share the good news, to be good news to people, and uh, and 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 then as Jesus says, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that was our simple mantra: is that look, we are a family. Um, we're a godly family that are pursuing him, that are putting him first. And we want to go and serve the community mm. that we were part of and to see an expression of church uh, emerge from us planting, not the church, but planting ourselves as a family. So my kids at school and, you know, how they live their lives uh, in front of their, their schoolmates, you know, how we would interact with parents at the school gate and how we would love and serve and bless um, the community, how we would open up our home and our table to all and everyone. All of these things became avenues where we would express what it means to be a family on mission. And do you have like key principles around that? Because obviously you're trying to follow the teachings of Jesus and, you know, the whole, what would Jesus do? But like, what's the reality of that? Because you've got two young kids who I've met that are bright and intelligent and inquisitive and amazing, but like, I can't be easy all the time because you make it, you know, like, like we've in that snapshot, we make it sound um, perfect, but you know, what are the challenges of, you know, like bringing kids up in Christ in, in a world that uh, increasingly in England, in the West, you know, reject, um, you know, Jesus and God and, and they're going into school and, you know, being Jesus, like, you know, yeah. how, how has that been for them? And, you know, what are the principles you try to follow about how you do what you do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. You know, the, the the West has become increasingly hostile to the gospel, hostile to the Christian message. And, you know, even this year, you know, it's, it's been a really tough year for my kids, particularly my, my oldest daughter has been, you know, bullied through school and um, a lot of the times have been victimised 
because of her faith in yeah. Christ. And so that's the reality, not just for my kids, but for many people so as they send their kids into environments that are increasingly hostile. And we're going to see that as we will talk, talk about today. You know, one of the, the signs of Jesus's coming is persecution against the Jewish people and against Christians. And we see that in the world. So how do I prepare my kids for that? <laughs> it's quite simply by modeling something for them and, and for the home environment to be a place where we model those values of the kingdom. So we're modeling, trying to model, you know, what it means to be people that pursue the presence of God, worship him in a, in a home, read the scriptures together, have worship events in our home. You know, so it's not just like Sunday, we're going to go to church to worship. No, like worship is a lifestyle. Mm. It's way more than just kind of singing songs, but it's about how we interact with each other, modeling forgiveness, you know, when people hurt us and they wound us, um, blessing those who, who persecute us. That's been a real lesson that we've had to work, walk through with my daughter this year is like, okay, how are you going to now react to those people that are saying those things about you, that are writing those things about you. You know, you have a choice as to whether or not you're going to model kingdom values, which are countercultural to the world, different to the world. You know, how are you going to respond? So, and it's kind of like just sort of discipling your kids through that. And I think, you know, there's a strong emphasis on, on families doing that with their kids, mm. you know, and, you know, I take my hats off to single parent families, you know, blended families that are having those kind of other complications. But that's the reality is that when you build that foundation upon Christ, upon his word, he helps you through these challenges. Yeah. And I, and I know that what you haven't said and you won't say it is how incredibly loving you and Sally are as well. And I think, you know, that creating that safe place at home you know that place where jesus is king is and you know love abounds anything you know it, i know that, that that's got to be a big part of it as well um thanks for sharing that it's yeah felt really sad when you told me about your daughter so yeah i'll pray for her and amen thanks yeah, man i appreciate that just makes me sad you know like we, it's only really recently that i think that sort of persecution's got worse and yeah uh, we talked about it in another podcast, but you know, it, it, it seems to be coming. Um, it's just subtle, isn't it? It's just subtle. Uh, we talked about our church trying to find a church building and certain organizations making excuses for us to not be there, but it's because they didn't want a, you know, a faith based organization. And that's sad as well in a, in a country that's, uh, got a monarchy that is guided by God, apparently. So, yeah. Very strange, very strange. Um, so, Tim, tell us a little bit about your uh, how you got saved. Like, where were you at? Were you from a Christian family? So, your lightning bolt hit you. You know, yeah. kind of like how did you meet Jesus, and and um, how has that impacted the rest of your life? Yeah. So, my story, I guess, with Jesus um, really began in. Well, I mean, he knew me since I was being when I was knitted together in my mother's womb. That's the reality. But I became aware of the presence of God when my mum got radically saved in 1984. Um, she went to the doctors. Um, she was suffering with mental health and anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. That's very much her story. Um, but she went to the doctors and the doctor did something very radical. He said, I'm, I'm not going to give you any medication. I'm going to pray for you. 
And wow. yeah, that doctor ended up becoming a really close friend of the what family. What would happen if someone did that now? It's I mean, crazy, right? Or something. I know, it's bonkers, but he did. Wow. And she didn't have any, nothing happened to her there and then, but then she went home and um, she just had this incredible sense of the presence of God filling her room and something heavy and weighty that she'd been carrying around lifted off of her. And she just broke down and just, you know, just embraced Jesus in that moment. Only Jesus. I was seven years old and my dad saw this radical change in my mom. And she, cause one minute she's like walking around depressed, almost wanted to kill herself. Next minute she's full of life and joy and hope. And then she started going along to this little Baptist church in the little market town of Oni where we we're originally from. And, um, and my dad just out of curiosity went along to see what all this was all about. He ended up going to a Billy Graham con uh, event in Wembley Stadium in 1984 and gave his life to Christ. And then from that moment, we as a family, myself and my brother, would go to the Only Baptist Church and we got brought up then from there. I was seven years old, my brother um, was, was a little bit younger, five. And we, we, we got brought up essentially in this, in this Christian family. So we are, if you like, second generation Christians, uh, at this point, then my parents being the first, having this radical conversion. Well, I thank Christ. God for that doctor and he's probably in heaven now, right? And I think just, he's still going, mate. Really? Yeah, 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 as far I mean. as I'm aware. That's just incredible. Just, you know, like that he would be brave to do that. And isn't that a lesson for all of us that, we don't know the impact of us praying for someone or sharing Jesus with somebody. It changed the direction of my family's life. Entire that one that one prayer changed the direction of my family's life forever. Yeah. Wow. So if that's a massive encouragement to be brave. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's unbelievable. That's awesome. Um, so then, then, I mean, you've then experienced Jesus through your family, but at what point did you, choose to accept Jesus in your life? Like, when did you say? So I had an encounter with God when I was seven years old at an event called Spring Harvest uh, with Mr. Apple, this guy dressed in this giant Apple con uh, costume. And they were talking That's about... That's not what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, no, but there you go. I thought you were taking the mic for a minute there. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it was true. All right, it's cool. And, uh, and, he, and, and they were talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And and and, uh, you know, and so I just had this encounter with Jesus at this, at this tender age. Um, and then I kind of, when I got to t teenage years... Um, really just started to push the boundaries and explore um, some kind of worldly things and got just drifted away from my faith. Um, I, I allowed compromise in, you know, when I yeah. compromised. So I started dating a non-Christian girl, God bless her, um, you know, who's a really good, really lovely girl. Um, but for the simple fact that I was then stepping outside of the parameters of God's word, I then found myself going down a pathway slowly, slowly, slowly right. that incrementally took me away from my relationship with God. Yeah. And my friend, that's how, that's how it happens. Do you know well, what I mean? that's what we're saying. Yeah. I, I think this is the thing we get mixed up in the, in, in the world, Matt, is we call, we call sin like the opposite of wrong and it's not, it's the opposite of God. So sin just takes you away from God just little yeah. by little by little, little. little. Yeah. Even if we agree whether it's sin or not, it's like, yeah. oh, well, if you're doing that, you know. Yeah. Does it take you away from God? And yeah, so is that? Sorry, carry on. So it did. Yeah, it, it did. And to, and until the, the you know, I was I was a, I was in a bit of a mess between the ages of eighteen and twenty three. Um, I was exploring all different kinds of you know spirituality, messing around with narcotics, and um, you know just a whole party lifestyle. 
um, and I was basically f looking for something mm. uh, and I didn't know what it was. And, you know, I, I ended up uh, going traveling around the world. I met, I met Sally in a dark and dingy nightclub. And, um, you know, we were, we were, we were broken young people looking for some, what the world had to offer. Did you think you were broken at the time or were you having a good time? No, I, was, I thought I was having a good time. It's yeah. only as I look back now with hindsight and retrospect that I go, okay, I was in, I was in a bit of a mess really. Mm. Um, I was in a real mess, mm -hmm. but then God broke in and it was one day on a, on a beach on Bondi beach in Australia. I was, I was surfing. Oh, this is a bit of a nicer story yeah, already. It's a, it's yeah. a nicer story. in that. <laughs> so I got, I came out of the surf, um, on Bondi beach and I was, I just get carrying my board and this guy came up to me. This is funny enough, actually. And he came up and he gave me a book all about Armageddon. How funny is that? And we're talking about end there times today. So he gave me this book about Armageddon. And you know what? I read it and it, I, I remember sitting there kind of thinking, oh yeah, Jesus is real. Jesus is not only real, but he's coming back. He's actually coming back. And there's going to be this crazy cosmic battle that's going to take place in this place called Megiddo. And that's a real place in Israel. Oh my goodness. And so like for me, it just invoked some of the seeds of the kingdom that had been planted in my heart from earlier on. And so actually part of my, my redemption story is coming back to Christ is receiving this book all around Armageddon. Mm. And I think as Christians, it's a really good bridge into talking about end times, but you know, we get, we get, we get viewed, don't we, as being uh, a bit nuts for like thinking about end times or, you know, the second coming or, you know, and you've got lots of like preppers out there and, you know, like people that are taking it to the extremes. But, you know, if we're going to take this book here that you've got, and for people that aren't watching the video version, Tim's got a lovely Hebrew Bible that you read uh arguably the correct way, uh, back to front for us in the West, um, with the Hebrew and the English in it, um, is if we want to take the bits about grace, love, forgiveness, mercy, hope, uh, light in the darkness, I can't think of any more cliches, but, you know, to be true, then you also have to take there's an enemy, there is a spiritual battle, there are spiritual realms and things that we don't understand um, and Jesus will come again and you can't have one without the other. Um, and it seems to me that in my discipleship as a Christian, been a Christian possibly 10 years now, 10 or 11 years, uh, I've had a lot more teaching on grace, mercy, forgiveness, you know, my attitude, uh, my heart condition and very little on end times and it's only really by pursuing it myself that, you know, there are great teachers out there and plenty of people doing it. Um, like where, where do, where, where do we stand now on like, how do we teach this in a relevant way to everybody that's listening today? Like yeah. how, Matt, how, how do we get into this in a way yeah. that we're not just, you know, skirting around the edges? Yeah. It's good. A good question. And, there's uh, a guy, theologian called uh, Millard Erickson. He wrote a book called Christian Theology. I mean, it's, it's got some big, long words in there. <laughs> but in it, he talks about two positions that I think are not helpful when it comes to 
uh, understanding the eschatology or the study of the end times. And in it, he says that, that one of the dangers is falling into the trap of uh, eschotomania, <laughs> which is like, oh, I've got this revelation about end times and flip, I need to you know start prepping. And uh, you, you, literally then everything then becomes around end times, end times, end times. And yes, you know, we, we do need to be aware of these things. And there are certain things that we can do to prepare ourselves for end times. You know, the Bible says that we should always be prepared. Yeah. We should be watchful. The, the lamps, you know, and the oil, they're, they're all around. Well, Matthew 25 Very, is, yeah. is that kind of like we're watching and waiting for the return of right. Christ. We should be prepared. We should have oil in our lamps. Yeah. So that, but then the danger is, is that we go take that to, to the extreme and, we, you know, we build, you know, our whole lives. With, and then we, that's all we teach at the expense of not teaching around the doctrines of grace mm. and, uh, you know, the, the need for salvation and, you know, the, 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 the sort of very much not basic gospel, but the, that simple gospel message, uh, because we're kind of all wrapped up with that. And then because there, that's been one of the things that, you know, one of the routes that a lot of people have gone down, the other side of the coin, um, which Millard says is that is the escotophobia, which is this kind of like because everyone's getting all ma becoming like maniatic about these things. Well, I'm going to completely avoid that, and I'm not going to talk about it altogether. And the reality is, is that your Bible, my Bible, is you know one third prophecy. Mm. So we we can't. And Jesus is quite clear. There's so much teaching. Uh, around the events leading up to the second coming of Christ that you can't help but not talk about them. And, um, you know, every day that goes past, we're a day closer to his, to his, his coming. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So at the expense of having, I don't know what the word you use, the, um, mania version of it. I mean, we are going to focus on it today, but, um, I think, I think really, I've got a ton of questions here and I'm just wondering whether I want to ask them because they're a bit, they're a bit, you know, they're like, you know, uh, what about one world government? What about, you know, the mark of the beast and natural disasters? I think we should get into some of that. Yes. Um, but is there a way that you could summarize, you know, the end times prophecies in, you know, a roundabout way of like, it says that no one knows what will happen, right? But there are, there is some stuff that we do know, you know? Yeah. Could you could you summarise? Yeah, I, I will. People living at home, absolutely, and take so, time because I know it's complicated. Yeah, this. I mean, we we are talking about a very complex, um, complex topic um, that has different theological perspectives. Yeah, um, and you know, it's only as I've personally began to study these things. I've realised how much I, little I do know. Yeah, and so well, that's, I, I, that's how I feel. But and I, think, I, th I think it's really important that we approach this. Uh, anyone that's going to be a student of the Bible recognises that you know the, the very word disciple uh, is is uh, is a learner. Right. So so all of us, as we approach, even the most learned theologians. Now I don't I don't consider myself to be one of them, but even the most learned theologians are still learning. And we have to have our lives shaped by the scripture, not our own understanding right. of uh, culture and what's going on in the world. And the Bible is quite clear. Um, there's a, a book that I found really, really helpful in this journey, which was a guy by a guy called Derek Prince. And he wrote a book called The Prophetic Guide to right. the End Times, Facing the Future 
without fear. So the first thing I'd like to say is that, you know, as we study the the end times, what it should do for the believer um, is that it should make us more hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, it should actually make us more, more, oh my goodness, like yeah. he is actually coming back and it, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. He's going, this, is, this isn't just some metaphorical thing that might happen. The Bible is clear. These things will happen. And well, you achieved that. You achieved that in the first five minutes when I asked you about the end times. I was like, oh, I feel more hopeful now. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and uh, that's what I hope as well too. Uh, Matt, so let, let's um, let, let's try and get we'll have a little bit of time of teaching, I guess. Just of let's have a summary of you know the prophecies and timelines and what we think might happen, um, and then I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Yeah, that, sure. You know, everyone wants to know. Okay, I want to know. You might not have the answers, but I'm probably not going to have all of the answers. Do you know what? And that's a beautiful thing. I don't profess to have all the answers. We just here to have a chat about yeah, it, and then people can, at home can make their own minds up about it. And you know, if people can put in the comments, can't they, their own beliefs about it, and we'll learn together that way. You know, that's how we learn. We're a community of disciples, learning and growing together as we follow Jesus. Um, and we don't. None of us have all the answers. In fact, the Bible does say that we know in part. And we prophesy in part. So not one of us, not even the greatest prophetic uh, prophet, uh, sees the whole revelation of God. Otherwise, the only person that does is God himself. Mm. In fact, Jesus uh, says in his word that nobody knows the hour. And even in his humanity, when he was on the earth, he didn't even know the times of which he would return. He said that was only for the father to know those dates. Yeah. Uh, but we do know that the that they will happen. So I would say if you're kind of new to this whole idea of end time studies and you really want to dig into this, a really good starting point um, is going to be Matthew 24, Matthew 25. Um, Jesus is teaching um, on, it's called the, the Olivet Discourse. And it's this little moment where Jesus knows that he's about to go to the cross. And in Matthew 23, he's standing there and he's looking over Jerusalem and he's kind of like, you know, woe to Jerusalem. You know, you've, you've killed your prophets. Um, and then he says this statement, which is really interesting. He says, uh, in Matthew 23, he says, um, I long to gather you, speaking of Jerusalem. I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you will not see me again until I hear you say, blessed is he, Barak habar Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so in that, we get this little picture that all of Israel would have to be back into their land and in full ownership of Jerusalem, for them to even say, Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. He's crying over Jerusalem. And his disciples are there with him. And then he says, uh, and they say, look how beautiful this temple is. And he says, what well, in Matthew 24, guys, all of these stones that you see right now are going to be annihilated. They're going to be destroyed. And they asked Jesus two very, very important questions to understanding the end times. They say, when will these, when will that, when will that happen? When is Jerusalem going to get trampled on? And then what will be the sign of your coming? 
And I like to think of um, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, which is a conversation, this Olivet Discourse that Jesus is having. Um, it's repeated in Luke 21 and in Mark 13. And if you imagine like we're sat in here and there's like three different cameras here that are kind of taking different angles on our conversation. Yeah. I like to think of, you know, Matthew 24 as one angle, um, you know, Luke 21 as another angle and then Mark 13 is another. They're capturing the same conversation, but they all pick up little snippets uh, of this conversation that I think um, is what Derek Prince calls the spine of Bible eschatology so if you imagine if we're if we're building a skeleton you would put down the spine first and then all of these other bits that you probably want to talk about today they all hang off of this from this conversation from this, from this that conversation jesus has, yeah. that jesus is having in matthew 24 so i think understanding matthew 24 or certainly you know get into grips with what jesus says and the way that jesus presents this conversation is is meant to be a sequential order of events that are happening. So actually within Matthew 24, you actually get almost like a biblical timeline mm. mapped out. How do we know it's sequential? Because the amount of times that Jesus uses the words, then, then you will see this, then you will see that, then you will be handed over and persecuted on account of my name then you will see the abomination of desolation of spoken of by Daniel. Yeah. Uh, and then there, then there will be great tribulation on the earth like no one has seen before. So there's this kind of like sequential order of events that are leading up to the second coming of Christ, which is what the disciples said. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So can we answer those two questions? Like when... When will the tribulation happen? Because that's what they, they were saying. When will all this be destroyed? What were the two questions? And the second one was, uh, when are you coming back, right? Yeah. So the first question was, so Jesus was there. He was looking at the, the temple. But bear in mind, in that day, the temple was the center of Jewish worship. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And they the, at that time, they were expecting... The, mess the Messiah to come and reestablish Israel as the, you know, what the Bible says is a chief amongst nations. Uh, and and, 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 and to even today, you know, understanding God's role for Israel is absolutely key. Israel is like God's prophetic time clock, if you like. That's yeah. why Jesus in Matthew 24 spoke about this parable of the fig tree. What's the fig tree? The fig tree prophetically is is Israel. He's speaking there about Israel. If you read in Hosea 9 verse 10, um, Hosea refers to Israel, as does Jeremiah, as the this 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 fig tree. And so Jesus is talking there in Matthew 24 about Israel being key to understanding uh, God's prophetic timeline. But the disciples were asking these questions: when will these happen? When will the destruction of Jerusalem happen? Yeah. And he answers that question when you jump out of Matthew 24 and you jump into uh, Luke 21, uh, and he says that um, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. So, and we, when, when, so when did that happen? Well, we know that that happened uh, as we look back in history, 
um, in AD 70 when the Roman emperor, I can't remember the, 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 the emperor's name, Ves Vespian or something like that, he came into Jerusalem in AD 70 and he literally trampled on Jerusalem. That, that temple was destroyed, as Jesus said, absolutely on the money, it was destroyed. And there was the, then the great dispersion of the Jewish people. So they were then dispersed amongst the mm. nations of the world, mm. like scattered around the world. And But God said that, the, you know, Jesus said these things would happen, that they would be dispersed. But God all, is always faithful to his word. And he always promises to bring his covenant people, which is Israel, back to their covenant land, which is that small bit of land, the most contended yeah. bit of land. I mean, yeah. Jerusalem, I mean, oh, Jerusalem yeah. is, is like, is, is the most contended city in, in, in all of the world. Do you know what I mean? Everybody wants a stake of Jerusalem. Why is that? It's because 34 times in the Bible, God says, I will put my name in that city. And if you think about the ministry of Jesus, think about all of the activity that happened in Jerusalem. Mm. Jesus died on the cross in Jerusalem. He laid in the ground in Jerusalem, in that tomb. He rose again from Jerusalem. Um, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and we've just celebrated Pentecost, Pentecost Shavuot. Yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon that feast in Jerusalem, in the upper room with those believers gathered. So Jerusalem is, if you like, the epicenter of God's activity on the earth. And it's the place where Jesus ascended into heaven from on the Mount of Olives. And then and the disciples were there looking up into the sky going, where's he? And the angels you know, in Acts, Acts 1, they were like, the angel said to him, like, why is it you look up there? This same Jesus that you saw take of will come back in the same way. So Jesus is going to come back visibly to stand again on the Mount of Olives and in Zechariah verse 12, it says in that day, Israel will look upon the one whom they have pierced and they will mourn because the Bible says that Israel is the epicenter. Jerusalem yeah. is the epicenter yeah. of all Bible. Problems. It's not Washington. It's not, uh, it's not London. It's not Paris. Yeah. It's not Moscow. None of these places, all of them have a role to play in God's end time purposes. But they're not the epicenter of it all. it all. It all happens around God's covenant land um, with his covenant people um, that we, the Gentiles, have been grafted into, which is a, you know, a little bit off key, but it's, it's all good none, nonetheless. And what was the second question? So the second question then was like, and what will be the sign of your coming? Right. How okay. will we know that you... And how will we, how yeah. we know? Okay. So then, so go jump then back to Matthew 24. Jesus then gives us um, four categories of signs that are that we are to look for. Okay, so the, uh, the first one is uh, is is signs in the church. So um, what we see in the church are a number of things happening, and don't forget these are signs. Okay, so these aren't, and 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 the way that Jesus relates to these are like birth pangs. I don't know if you've ever been involved. I mean, I've watched both of my kids being born. They came really, really quickly, like boom, boom, they were just there. 
But before that moment happened, there were some like early warning signals. Mm. I was going to say, I bet Sully didn't think it was quick. <laughs> well, actually, they, were, they were both born miraculously really? Really? In, in about an hour and a half. No way. That's, um, that's unreal. Like, I mean, I've never been to a birth. I mean, I've actively avoided it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not good, mate. Yes. It's not, it's, it's, but it's I've not... heard, you know, my sister's had three children. Yeah. You know, I've heard people talk about it. So I know it's, it can be hours and hours and days sometimes. It can be days. Oh, I mean, it's so, I mean, bless those women that go for like 48 hours, yeah. mate. I mean, that must be excruciating, like to go through that. I mean, we will never know. But Jesus likens these signs to, um, to, to, to birth pangs. Now, I'm no medical doctor, but I do know that when a contraction comes on, initially it's kind of like, ooh. And you get those called Braxton Hicks contractions, which are like these little, the little pulses. Do you know what right. I mean? That let you know that something is, oh, something's about, there's about, we're about to go, we're about to go into labor here. It's going to be hard. Yep. And then what happens is they grow with their intensity. So everyone gets a little bit more, gets a little bit more, gets a little bit more until, you know, there's 10 centimeters dilated and then you're in full bone labor and then you're giving birth. And so Jesus is likening these signs uh, that increase in intensity on the build-up to his second coming. And so these signs, number one, is signs in the church. And so these are things that uh, will be happening in the church. And Jesus makes it clear, Matthew 24, that there will be um, great deception. Number one, great deception in the church. So people will be deceived. And we saw that. We saw that quite a lot with the whole pandemic thing and people going off into all sorts of different directions. And uh, you, you could see how quite easily people could, be, could become very, very deceived. The second thing that he talks about is um, apostasy, that there will be a great falling away in the faith. Um, and we see this again, even in our world Today, oh, yeah, we, we, we see that um, some churches are becoming more aligned with uh, doctrines and beliefs that aren't upheld by the word of God. Mm. So there, there is this kind of falling away then into apostasy. And uh, sadly, you know, many of the mainstream denominations are going down that route. And it's like, oh, my goodness, it breaks my heart. It even teaches it in the Bible. I mean, you want to it, scream and shout. It, right? it teaches it. In love, you want to share that truth. This is, it, and it's, it's a sad reality mm. that there will be a great falling away in the last days. But then Jesus also says that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into the whole earth and then the end shall come. So whilst there is this great deception in the church and this great falling away, there must also be a remnant bride. God always preserves a remnant. God always preserves the faithful ones who will endure to it, who will stand to the end. And it's those ones. And, and I hope and pray that, that you guys are together and, 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 and us together, we're part of the faithful ones that will endure to the end, um, that will see this gospel of the kingdom. That's why I believe media is so key. In, it's one of the keys that God is using to advance the gospel, to preach the gospel into all creation so that well, it's, everyone... It's stuff like this that gives you great passion. You can see why people have missions going into North Korea or, you know, trying to get to places where media isn't and trying to preach, you know, the full gospel of Jesus and share his message because 
I mean, it's just so hopeful, isn't it? And getting and it. I want to be part of the remnant. God, please make me part of that remnant. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and getting it in the homes, getting getting the gospel in the homes, because actually, as we, um, you know, I, I believe end time study actually what it does is it makes us more hopeful, but then it also makes us more active. Yeah, it makes and us it, want to go. It, it makes us want to go right, okay, because we have got a part to play mm. in the advancement of the of the kingdom of God upon the earth. We join with God and His redemptive mission, and actually, what we're doing is we're hastening the return of the Lord because as we preach the gospel. Can we do that? Can we hasten the return? Or well, no, I think I, I don't. I don't think. Well, I don't think we can actually. God has His time set. The right. time is set. But what we're doing is, we, is we are. We don't speed it up. We don't speed up the time. But we're we're actively playing our part in the the second coming of the return of Christ because right. you know we're joining in with His mission. Yeah, Jesus says. So we're partnering with. We're partnering it with Him. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And then, then you said there were four. So there's what's number two? So number two is signs, signs in the church, number one. Yeah. Signs in the world. Right. Um, which um, the signs in the world um, he describes are uh, um, wars, rumors of wars. What are we seeing right now? Yeah. This is escalating before our, for our eyes. There is more wars happening right now in the world than what there, there, there ever has been. I know there's been two great wars. Um, it feels very much like, I mean, many of us are going, is World War Three just around the corner? None of us know. The Bible is quite clear that there will be wars and rumours of wars, and they're going to be increasing, like you know, those birth, birth pangs. There, there will be earthquakes um, and natural disasters. So these aren't the effects of, you know, s some crazy theology and understanding of global, global warming. Yeah. I don't like to call it global warming. I like to call it global groaning because the Bible says that the earth is groaning, wow. longing to be clothed, uh, with immortality. So all of creation, when it, when it fell, is subject to the curse of, 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 of the fall. And so when Jesus comes back and he establishes his millennial kingdom, he will show us how to live in harmony with creation. So we'll begin to restore that sense of Eden. Why do we call it the millennial kingdom when we've technically just had the millennial, you know, of, of Jesus's birth anyway? Yeah. Yeah. So the millennial kingdom is an idea um, that's found in, in the, in the book of revelations. Re revelations, by the way, is not some weird, crazy book that's meant to be just understood by super Christians. It's meant to be understood and read by everyone. It's not the revelation of the end times or the revelation of the apocalypse or the re revelation of the antichrist. It's the revealing of Jesus and his kingdom. So whenever you look and read the book of revelations, I encourage you to read it through that lens. Like I'm not looking for the antichrist. I'm not looking for, I'm looking to, to, uh, to know Jesus and to know his purposes. Yeah. And in revelation, it talks about that Jesus, when Jesus comes back again at the end of the, the great tribulation, um, that we, we will talk, we can talk about that again in, in a moment or two, but there will be that tribulation period upon the earth, which is when Jesus is going to come back and establish his thousand year rule and reign, um, from Jerusalem. And that will be a thousand year period, um, where Jesus will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Got it. 
Um, so what are some of the other signs? So you talk about, you know, uh, wars, rumours of wars, um, you know, um, what are some of the other, like number two signs yeah. in the world we were talking about? Yeah, so, and, and then in, in Luke 21, it talks about um, pestilences, um, which another word is very similar to sort of, you know, pandemics, you know, so all of these things are pointing us to, they're not, they're not like signs that we're like, like it's going to happen tomorrow because none of us know the hour or the day, but what they are are signs that point us to, what does a signpost do? It points to something. Yeah. So all of these are pointing us to Jesus, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, who's coming back again pandemics, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. They're the signs are in, in the, in, in the world, if you like, that Jesus points to. Mm. Now, the third category of signs are the signs in Israel. Uh, and, um, as I've already alluded to, um, Israel is the epicenter, if you like, of, uh, end time prophecy. Um, it, 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 it all ends in, in Israel and Jerusalem being the epicenter, um, which is why during the Great Tribulation period, um, we see that, you know, the Antichrist wants to establish his seat of worship um, in, in Jerusalem on that Temple Mount. That's why there's such contention over that, over that ground. Even now, it's the most contended site, um, you know, biblical site, you know, historical site, religious site and all. Everybody wants a stake. Yeah. In that ground. Why? Because it's where, where Jesus is going to rule and reign from. Mm. That's why there is such contention over that site. So Israel is one of the prophetic signs. And I believe one of the biggest prophetic signs that we are in the end times, or we're certainly moving towards the end times, is that Jesus refers to the Israel blossoming, like when in the time of the summer. And, you know, Israel being reborn as a nation in 1948, yeah. um, you know, May the 14th, 1948. And then also the recapturing of Jerusalem in 1967 in that six-day war. I believe they are really big signs, you know, if we were to look at the signs that we are in. Because the Bible says that this generation will not pass away until you see these things take place. Mm. Some theologians would argue that, what generation is that? Well, the generation of seeing Israel blossom again, the fig tree blossoming in the land, is one of the key prophetic markers, if you like, that we are truly living in in the days that are leading up to you know, the second coming of Christ. And what are some of the other signs? So is it like the rebuilding of the temple or would you, is that enough, the fourth one? <laughs> yeah. I mean, G Jesus doesn't say, does Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't say that in, in, in the, the temple. I mean, there is. Oh, this is a good conversation. This is it? a great yeah. conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So t tell us about the rebuilding of the temple. And well, I was, I mean, I was in Jerusalem um, back in December. Um, I've, you know, I've been to Jerusalem twice and, you know, there's the, the temple Institute um, are, are right there and they've, you know, apparently in, in all the stuff right? in the Temple Institute, they've got all the stuff ready to, to build. Now, why is that significant? Um, because in Matthew 24, Jesus does say that there will be an event called the abomination of desolation yeah. spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Um, and when you see that event happen, there will be times on the earth like there has never been seen before. Um, in fact, the, Jesus that does go, go on to say that uh, had those days not been cut short, that no flesh would survive. 
So, you know, there's different interpretations around that verse and around that, the eschatology um, around that. What one sort of view is what they call the preterist view, which is that, well, all of these events happened in AD 70. Right. Um, so they're, 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 they're historical. Yeah, it's, kind of it's, done. it's done. You yeah. know, the only thing that we're waiting for now is the second coming of Christ. Yeah. And then there is a kind of futurist view is that, that these, that that event is still yet to happen in the future. Um, and, you know, having studied both of these things and looked at, at this, I personally have come to land on that it's more going to happen in the future, largely because um, at the time, you know, Jesus says in, in Jesus's words himself, he says that this will be a time like no other time in all of human history, you know, where all flesh could be wiped out. Mm. Now, when the Romans marched in in AD 70, this wasn't some global thing where all flesh could be, could be, yes, I mean, it, it was, there was a bloodbath for the Jewish people and they were scattered across the, the world, but it didn't end in this kind of massive catastrophe. So we haven't had an event like that in the world yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I and then also a taste of what one might look like recently. We're having, we're having, we're having tasters. We're having a taste of pangs, but we're having birth pangs. We're having, we're having birth pangs. Um, but, so let's come back. Back to, back to the abomination of desolation, because I also have some questions about, um, it says that no one will know, but then, you know, I've heard there's like a countdown clock from when this hap- something happens, like the abomination of desolation, that then seven years after Jesus will come. Like what's, I'm interested in like what, what's all that, you know, where does that come from? But there's a fourth, you said there's four signs you said. So what's number yeah, four? Yeah, four signs is uh, cosmic signs. Cosmic signs. So signs in the heavens. Uh, and, you know, Jesus is clear. Then this is literally like right before he comes, you know, the sun will be darkened and wow. you know, the stars yeah. will fall from the sky. Yeah. Um, and so they're, 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 and then you will see lightning coming from the east and so shall it be at the coming of the son of man. So there's kind of like the, the cosmic signs. And again, that's kind of saying that God is in control of the universe. Yeah, that's terrifying. He's, he's, he, I mean, he, Jesus is the, is, is the, the star breathing God. He breathed and spoke the world and the worlds, the stars into existence. We had a worship event, um, at our property the other, the other, the other day and we, it was a beautiful starry night and my kids are out and they saw all the, all the stars and they saw these shooting stars and they were like, why did God create all of these? Like, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, he did. The Bible is clear that God created the heavens and the earth. So he's in control of, of all of these things. That's why for believers, these shouldn't be fearful times. These are exciting times because we are the bride of Christ getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb to go meet our bridegroom. Mm. This is a, a time for us to be joyful, hopeful. And although the world is quite clear, the Bible is clear that we're going to go through a period of time time which we'll dig into now um called jacob's trouble or uh, a great tribulation um these aren't things that we're to be fearful of but we are to have hope in because the bible says that we those who endure to the end will be saved well let's do that let's look at the great tribulation and then let's discuss also the rapture like hand in hand in that because you know the big question is post-trib, pre-trib, like if, yeah. if you've been a Christian for long enough, you'll have heard that. Now, you might not know what that means, but it's, so we need to describe what is the rapture 
and why do people think it'll happen before the great time of tribulation or after right yeah. so that's what we're going to discuss so so um yeah Matt like what's what is the rapture and what is the great tribulation and when do you think it'll happen <laughs> okay so <laughs> just for everyone at home like if you're yeah. not watching he's laughing leant back oh, took man. a massive deep breath and like all right Ian, let's go let's, let's go. go okay so let's let's start with the great tribulation shall we because i think this that is that's really key and we have to go back to Jesus's words. We, we're hanging everything, remember, on Jesus's words. So Jesus says that, you know, then you will see um, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. So this is something that we then have to go back to, um, not just Old Testament, as if it's old and irrelevant, but we have to go back to Daniel 9. And in Daniel 9, Daniel is having a revelation um, um, about these, a, a prophecy given to him by, by Gabriel. Um, and it's called the prophecy of weeks. And it's about 70 weeks, a period of 70 weeks, if you like. And prophetically, a week is a seven year period. Okay. So it gets, it gets a bit complicated and it gets a bit numerical. And you've got to do some like numerical bits in this as well. But in this prophecy, the, um, the, the revelation is that, is that there's a prophecy for up to 62 weeks. Um, that the kick point for that, the starting point of that was, um, bear in mind Daniel at that time when he got that revelation, um, they were in their 70 year captivity. They were coming to the end of that. Um, and then they moved out of captivity and they were going back into their, to Jerusalem. So the kickstart for the start of that 70 week prophecy, which ends up 490 years, um, was the rebuilding or the, 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 the when King Xerxes was said, said, you were able to go back into Jerusalem. So that then starts this 490 year prophecy. They, um, which takes us up to the, 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 the Messiah, Jesus. And he says that the, the Messiah shall be cut off from his people. And that's pertaining to Jesus's death when, you know, so if Daniel's sitting there reading that, he's like, Oh my goodness, the Messiah is going to be born and, um, and he's going to be cut off from his people. Now, then there was an, a, another period of, of eight weeks. And biblically, there is a one, because it's a 70 week, seven is the number of completion. There is a, the, the, the 70th week still prophetically has not been fulfilled. And that is a time called Jacob's trouble. And it's, it will be fulfilled at the very end of the age. It's the final seven year period. And you said, when does that happen? What's the kickoff point for that? So um, there is um, Daniel 9, 27 that says he shall confirm a covenant with many. Now, who is the he that it's referring to? Many theologians think that that is the, the antichrist, you know, the prince of the, of the, of the air, the prince of this world. Um, that's many of the names that are given to the Antichrist. Some people say to me, is the Antichrist a spirit or is it a person? Well, I believe, you know, Second uh, John 2 says that you know, the, the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world. So, you know, we, we can see that throughout human history with you know Hitler and all these other people that have carried the spirit of the Antichrist, but there will be one in the end times who will, it will personify that it will be called the son of perdition. He hasn't yet been revealed, 
the set the stage is being set right now on the world scene uh, for, for this event for this person to to rise you know with one world governments and you know cashless societies and all of these things that we see being implemented before our eyes i believe the systems are being imp- are, are getting ready for him to be revealed but he hasn't yet been revealed but for the prophecy to be fulfilled he has to be revealed so should we be fighting all this you know i see a lot of christians are fighting you know being against one world governments or whatever but shouldn't we be welcoming them in because you know it hastens to use your words the end times you know yeah well i mean you're fighting a losing battle i mean god already knows this is going to happen right yeah so we're not fighting a one world government you know but these things the bible says that we these things will happen right you know when we see the development of you know cbdc central bank digital currencies and the removal of cash you know when you view that through the lens of bible prophecy um you know revelation 13 talks about the 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 beast rising out of the sea and he shall um, make every single one every single person great or small receive a mark on their forehead or on their hand without which they will be able to buy or sell so we're talking about there about a, a global economic system that is under the rulership of the antichrist that has that's not yet been implemented, and that that should, it could be. You know, we're well, talking about like social credit scores to be able to do things. You know, we're talking about uh, you know single currencies. You know, that, I mean, this all kicked off when we had the euro, right? It like looked like you know a single way, and uh, you know having. Um, the big thing I've seen in tech recently is all the implants and things like that. So without being scaremongers or like the, even if these don't reach the whole world just yet, they're going to. It's, it's, it's inevitable. Why? Because the Bible tells us so. And, you know, Jesus actually says in Matthew 24, 37, um, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the son of man. So then you have to go, okay, so what was happening in the days of Noah? And we'll come back to the Daniel bit as well, because the Daniel bit is really key. Yeah. Days of Noah was really quite key. Genesis 6, we see that God brought judgment upon the world um, because humankind, human flesh had been corrupted. Yeah. It would, it had been changed. It was, they were, they were breeding with the Nephilim, what, who were the Nephilim? They were the four, fallen angels and they were intermarrying with humans and then created. So this is, listen, this is always the enemy's tactic is all, you and I, we're made in the image of God. So by default, because you were made in the image of God, you were born with a target on your back. The enemy, this is what Jesus says in, in, in John 10, 10, the, the, the enemy, the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. So his mandate is to destroy everything that's made in the image of God. That's why we're seeing the marring um, and the moving away from biblical marriage. That's why we're seeing a move away from um, male and female. Why is transgender? He's changing gender. Now, the last thing to be changed is transhumanism and how are we seeing i believe with all my heart right how we're seeing this outworked in our world now is the changing of what it means to actually be human 
changing marriage, that which was ordained by God, changing what it means to be uh, gender made in the image of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then transgender, so changing, sorry, transhumanism. And we see this this happening now. You know, the people wanting to implant uh, chips into our brains and and connect us virtually to this uh, to the cloud, so that uh, so that we can live forever. I mean, this is nothing but an attack, a satanic attack, and. To, the, to use the words of Mike Bickle, he wrote an incredible article and I encourage you to dig into this. He says, in the end of the day, it boils down to the clash of two worship movements. We will either be aligned with King Jesus and his kingdom and we will be worshipping him separated from the world, pulled out of Babylon and the systems of this world, which are antichrist and set apart for him as a pure spotless bride. Because the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a bride without blemish or wrinkle. So we're in the process right now of having the wrinkles and the blemishes removed out of the church. And we can't do that while we're still sucked into the system of Babylon. Yeah. And so it's a bit like a piece of Velcro. I, I see kind of prophetically what God is doing right now in the days that we're living in is that he's he, He's disentangling us slowly, slowly. So a bit like p- putting a piece of Velcro, which are, like, which are like hooks, and then we're being pulled out of Babylon. Why? Because in, in Revelation 18, it says that the, 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 the bride and the bridegroom are not found in Babylon. Two systems, two cities, Babylon, Jerusalem, the satanic system of this world, and 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 our Messiah, King Jesus. Who who we're either going to be in one of those two camps. We're either going to be worshiping something or somebody. We have a choice as to where we come to land in that. Yeah. Wow. Are you spotless? That's the question. Yeah. And maybe you're not, but we have repentance, right? So, so, so let's ca- let's carry on talking about. Um, we were talking about the abomination of desolation. So, like, hook us back into the Jacob's time of trouble, because you know yeah. I'm trying to keep the yes, thread. That's it. Okay, yeah. yeah, keep us on the track, mate. That's good. So, the abomination of desolation then triggers an event called the Great Tribulation. Yeah. So that's the event that we need to be looked. That's and what triggers the um, this seven years. So there's a seven year period that's triggered by a, a, some would say it's a treaty. It's an agreement that the that the Antichrist makes with many. Now there's different thoughts upon that. Um, I don't quite know what, what that is. Some people would say that that's a peace treaty between Israel and its surrounding nations. Yeah, with many. Some people think that it's a global thing. So there's even some thought now within the, the prophetic community that this great reset, um, which, you know, our friends at the World Economic Forum are trying to impose upon us by 2030, the you alone, nothing can be happy. Um, that agenda, they're saying that that, uh, is, is the, if you like, could be this kind of like the, the trigger of the final seven year period, but there'll be a final seven year period. That final week of Daniel's prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled will, will come about with some agreement that the Antichrist will make. And then halfway through that seven year period, there's three and a half years 
Um, and then there's, there's the abomination of desolation, which happens in the midpoint of that seven year period. Yeah. And then that then gives three and a half years, um, from the abomination of desolation to the very end of the tribulation. The tribulation won't last forever. So some people think that the tribulation is that full seven year period. Jesus refers to this time period as being three and a half years. So I think the final seven years, the time of Jacob's trouble. Which Jacob, is the prophecy by Daniel. Which is, which is the prophecy by Daniel. Yeah. It's going to be a gnarly time to be alive yeah. on planet Earth. Um, because like the enemy knows that his time is short. People think, well, it's, is that God's judgments being poured out? No, 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 no. It's not God's judgments being poured out. That's a time of tribulation where the enemy is waging war against yeah. the saints. Yeah. Um, and then midway through that seven year period, there's an event called the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, which triggers then the, the, the final 300 uh, sorry, 1,260 days times times and a half um, or three and a half year period um, where he will set himself up to be God in the Temple Mount, which means that in order for him to stop sacrifices, because this is what the Word of God says, that the Jews would be able to restart, which is going back to your original question around the, the Temple Mount and have the Jews got everything in place? Yes, everything is in place now to restart sacrifices right. uh, on the Temple Mount. So there's some that would say that, yes, all of these things are happening now and there's a definite acceleration towards this moment. So do you believe we're living in the end times? Peter was quite clear when he got up at Pentecost and he says, my friends, these these people aren't drunk as they suppose and he goes and he quotes from the prophet Joel in Joel 2 verse 28 uh, he says in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your young men will have dr dr dreams and your, your old men will have visions and that 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 prophecy so we've been technically we've been living in the last days since that moment, we've been living in the last days for the last 2000 years. And in fact, the early church lived with this expectancy that Jesus could return at any moment. Yeah, I think that's exciting, though, because what they had that we do, they were so close to Jesus having been here, you know. So I guess those prophecies as you see them fulfilled and fulfilled. They didn't have this book. So like, you know, we now have this book, which is amazing and hindsight and everything else, but they were also living in this a tremendous time of having, you know, seen prophecy fulfilled and maybe even met, you know, Yeshua. Yeah. You know, so I, I think it's like incredible, like the, the different uh, camera angles, you called it, that yeah. you would get from depending on where you lived in history, you know, in, in, in worldly time, um, it's incredible. So, so that's explaining what the time of tribulation is. So what's the rapture? What does the Bible say about rapture? Um, and then we can discuss pre-trib, post-trib. Okay, so there's um, four main uh, scriptures uh, around the rapture. Uh, one, Thess uh, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, talks about that in a twinkling of an eye, you'll be changed. Uh, the, 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 the word uh, rapture literally means snatched away. Right. So, and, and it's, it's, it's this idea that the that the church are going to be 
go, were going up to meet him in the age. One, Th- one Thess- Thessalonians says that we will be changed in a twinkling of an eye and we will go meet him in the air and then we will be like him. We will see him as he is um, and we will be, um, yeah, we are going to be raptured, taken out of this world to to go and as the bride, the bride of Christ, taken to be with our bridegroom king. And the Bible is quite clear. It uses, Jesus uses throughout the scriptures, even at the, you know, the, 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 the new covenant, when at the last supper, he used the language of a bride, of a marriage. And so this is what we have as believers to look forward to, that we will be married to our bridegroom king. So we're, at the moment we're betrothed and we see him and we get glimmers of him. But, you know, Song of Songs, you know, it's a bit like, where is my beloved? You know, my beloved is gone away. But the Bible says that he's coming back to get us. Mm-hmm. And the fact the Bible says that he's coming, he's gone away to prepare a place for us, that he would come and get us to be with him. So the end destination for the believer and those that are part of the bride is that we would be with him. And there is a moment when that happens. And it's called the rapture of the saints where we are taken away from this world to be with him forever and ever. And it's going to be glorious, my friend. It's like, it's <laughs> like, oh my goodness. It's like everything, you know, all, all of this, these, these light and momentary troubles uh, is what the word of God says are achieving for us a future glory. And it's that when we get to behold him and we get to look upon him and we will see him face to face and we will be able to look and see the hands that were pierced for, for on, on our behalf. You know, those nail pierced hands we will be able to look upon those blazing eyes that are burning with passion and love for each and every one of us. We would be able to experience that love in our hearts and that sense of belonging and and connection that we've all we all long for. We all long for that's found in none other than the person of Jesus and it is that moment that we're, we're living for we li- you know we, we must live for that eternal moment because yeah. it's going to be glorious I mean I've, I've, it's, it's, I'm trying to hold back the tears to be honest Matt you know like it's it, it is encouraging so but so then 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 there's a very heady theological discussion that is well does that happen is God going to come back and take us away before the great tribulation, you know, and is it everybody? Yeah. It's What do you think? It's it's a con- this is one of the, a contentious one. But what I would say before I even even begin to sort of look at this is that this is what I would call a secondary issue in terms of the issue of salvation. Yeah. So it's not you know, we we can even within the Christian world, we can hold. The enemy wants to cause division. Yeah, yeah? that's the enemy's goal. A house yeah. divided, etc. And if he can get us to argue over these different theological perspectives, yeah. oh, I'm pre-trib and I'm post-trib, and blah, 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 um, then the the wonderful thing is that we can, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be able to be in the same fellowship. I've got people in my church that have a different that have come to land in a different persuasion on this than me. Yeah. And we're still friends and we still must see, you know, um, so, but like you said, there are, it's a great caveat. And, you know, I'm interested in it because, uh, what I'm hoping is that 
I'm hoping you would say that. You know, I'm hoping that you would say that. I know that there are secondary issues that actually does it really matter when it comes to my salvation. I mean, you know, like there are bigger callings on my life, like tell everybody about Jesus, you know, um, um, you know, dealing with my sin, like um, preparing myself, you know, and and uh, partnering with him and his heart. And I, I really like the caveat, but I'm also like, it is interesting, you know, like, like there's this question. I like to ask people what they think about it because it helps me just sort of land in a theological place, which is my learning, you know, my continued learning requires questions. Yes. And this is one that it doesn't major in my life. And I don't think it'll major for everybody's lives at home, but I know they're going to be interested in it. So we do yeah. want to know. Yeah. What, what do you think? Okay. So. Let's just, should we just go through what each kind of belief is? So we've identified what the tribulation is. Yeah. Right? It's a period of time. Some would say it's that full seven year period. Some would say that actually the great tribulation is those three and a half years. Yeah. And then there's this idea of the rapture, uh, which is where, as we've said, God's people are taken out of the world to go and be with Jesus. Yeah. Transferred from mortal bodies to immortality yeah so we'll receive our resurrected bodies then yeah um so there's a, a, an idea a, a theological view that that happens before the tribulation so before the the, the time of J jacob's trouble they call that position pre-tribulation and um that thought uh, is a relatively new thought in the church. So kind of it came about by a guy called John Darby in around 1830. Um, so that's kind of, and he's called, if you like, the the father of- Mr. Pre-trib. Mr. Pre-trib thought, the father of the pre-tribulation thought that we would be taken out before that seven year period. Well, it's a nice thought, Matt, isn't it? You know, like a God who loves us, who knitted us in our- mother's womb who knows every hair on our head who has a plan for our life who loves us and you know why wouldn't he take us it's a great thought you know you know i, I, I like you know it's a, it's a great thought i know why i, I would I, I i i would i would love to think that i i really would and um so so pre-trib is one then there is what they call mid-tribbers um which are so we, we talked about the time of Jacob's trouble being that seven-year seven year, period. It depends where they're sitting. Uh, so it, some people would say, well, we're going to get to the great tribulation, which is the time that Jesus spoke of, which is the, the abomination of desolation. We will be out of there, taken, snatched away at that point. Yeah. Um, and that's called the sort of mid-trib, okay? That's not a commonly not as common as the other two. Yeah. And then the other one is the, the post-tribulation, um, which is that we will be, the church will be present in and through the tribulation period. And um, so there's kind of two positions really. One is escape and one is an endure. That's the way I like to, yeah. uh, I like to look at it. We're either called to escape this world or we're called to endure it. Mm -hmm. And my, where I've come to land as I've studied the scriptures is that you have to do a lot of trying pulling out of the scriptures what's not there to land on the pre-tribulation. Jesus doesn't, because you're essentially you're saying that there is two second comings, one where Jesus 
comes for his church. We go meet him in the air. Then we go back up to heaven, marry supper of the lamb, and then come back down to rule and reign with him in the, in the millennial kingdom. The other thought is that Jesus, we go up and meet him. And then Jesus with, we, we come back down and we, we, we rule and reign with him. That's the post uh, tribulation thought, which is about enduring. So we then have to endure, prepare for, the the first now my bible says that at the last trumpet there are seven trumpets in the book of revelation jesus refers to the last trumpet in matthew 24 at the last trumpet when you hear that then you know that the second coming is coming at no point when you read any of jesus's teaching does it refer to this kind of like idea that there's going to be a secret rapture of the church that we're going to be pulled out Uh, in fact my bible says that those who endure to the end and it's very, very clear that during the tribulation period that there will be saints, there will be people that are believers in Jesus, either converted to him because there's going to be martyrs during the, that great tribulation period. Um, uh, so so there, there are going to be saints upon, upon the earth during that time. Listen, I've come to this place in my head and my heart where I would love, my, I'd, love to, I'd love it if we were taken out beforehand but the more i'm reading of the text and if i just read the text as it is the more i can see that we're being prepared to endure through it mm. uh, we will see him face to face this might my, my, is what the apostle paul says for me to live is christ and to die is gain and so whether we live in this body i'm living for christ if i die it's a gain. So if I die during the tribulation and get my head cut off, glory. Yeah. I'm going to be with him forever and yeah. ever. Amen. Um, so, but there is this sense that I, I do believe that we're going to be in right until the very end. Mm. Not that we're going to be subject to wrath. There is the bowls of judgments that, that will be poured out upon the earth. But I don't believe that we're going to be subject to wrath. And you know what? As you look through the, the Bible, God always has a way of preserving and protecting his people, even in and amongst great tribulation. So, you know, the plagues of Egypt, for instance, when you read, you know, in the story of Exodus, Exodus 1 up to Exodus 12 until they, they, they let the Israel left, uh, they were preserved in this area called Goshen. Yeah. Goshen was an area within, within Egypt that was a blossoming land. And, and all of the plagues of Egypt fell upon Egypt not one of them fell upon Goshen. So no. God has a, Noah, you know, God judged the world and, and you know, for their corrupted flesh, but he preserved his people. So I believe that God can and will preserve his faithful remnant. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think as well, like, you know, that there has got to be, you've got to air shift your thinking to an eternal perspective because does it really matter? Because if I die, I'm going to be with heaven in heaven with Jesus anyway, and I'll have a different perspective, you know, who knows what that's like, but we just know it's going to be glorious. You know, we, we know that, um, it's good. Right. So, so it's like you said to die, to die is gain. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's the first thing is like, right, shift my thinking. And then it, this question doesn't really matter anymore, but, yeah. but equally like, you know, that in that time of shaking, uh, endurance is going to, the people are going to fall left and right, you know, um, 
what do you think happens to them? You know, what if you're like a solid Christian? It is the end times. It's all seven years and you get deceived, you know, like, like, because we're talking a question of salvation then, because then it really matters. Yeah. Because he's going to come back for his church. You've been part of his church your whole life. You have given your life to Jesus, but then you might die in that time. You might, you know, is he going to come and rapture you? If you've been deceived, is that for everybody? I mean, what are your thoughts on all that? That sounds because they're the questions I've got. Yeah, <laughs> mate, they're, they're, these are these are great questions, and we're digging into some pretty in-depth theology theology now um, in terms of the, the you know the question of salvation, which I think is what you're you're raising. Well, can you lose it? You know, can, well, can you lose it? But, but, were you saved in the first place? Then right. a, did you have something to lose? Um, it's it's a really interesting one, and when we come back to. Uh, this idea, and um, I love how um, you know theologians like David David Pawson would say, you know, when it comes to the issue of of salvation, um, I am saved. I am being saved. I will be saved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so salvation isn't this kind of like one time event. I put my hand up in a meeting that. Um, you know, I, I, I said a prayer um, or even I got baptised. You know, the Bible says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling unto him. You know, so salvation... For uh, the rest of yeah, our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we can be certain of our salvation because our, the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. So there is an act of the grace of God that saves us, that... that, that pulls us into relationship. You know, we've been adopted as his children and now we get to call him Abba, Daddy, Daddy, that intimate relationship. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 24, Matthew 25, actually, and we can bring it back to the teachings of Jesus because Jesus is quite clear and he gives a very stark warning uh, and he likens the end time church to 10 virgins. You know, five of them had oil in their lamp Five of them didn't. Five of them were wise. Five of them were foolish. And many theologians would say that, okay, well, what's that oil? What does that oil represent? Because it means something. Yeah. And, you know, if the jar, because they had the jars, they had everything look good on the outside, and they even had enough oil to start with, but they ran out of oil. Oh, yeah. They ran out of oil. At the last moment, they were like, oh, my goodness. So they ran out of oil. So what does that oil represent? Because that's really important for us to, un to understand. And I think this is one of the keys, I think, to help us from being deceived in these last days. Because that oil, oil in, in the Bible, always represents presence. Presence of God. Holy Spirit intimacy the one thing that guards the believer against end time deception is intimacy with jesus and i can't buy that for you you can't buy that for me no we have to go and get it ourselves we've got to be hungry for the presence of god we've got to be waking up each day and going god today i'm dying to self and i'm living for you lord today i want your plans your purposes your kingdom come your will be done here in my life lord i i'm living for you and 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 worshiping the lord not for anything that you can get from him but because of how great and how glorious and how majestic he is 
and because we're ascribing worth to the one who is worthy. And so this is, this is the end time oil, I believe, that, 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 that will cost us everything. You know, becoming a Christian will cost you nothing. Why? Because Jesus has already paid the price. He's the, the, the wrath of God has been satisfied. It was poured out upon him by his blood shed on the cross. We can find forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present and future. Amen. But what keeps us then is that earnest desire and, and, and that daily desire just to keep coming to him on a daily basis to be in a relationship with him and to be waiting. You know, this is what Jesus says, wait, yeah. uh, uh, you know, you know, patiently wait for him. And so we're to patiently wait for the Lord, desiring his presence. And then I think we can be assured um, that we will survive and make it through these these difficult times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be my prayer for a while to yeah. pray that people like yearn for him, yearn to live their life for him, you know, die to self. Cause that's pretty hard, Matt, isn't it? You know, like you have to do that every day. Yeah. There's some practice in that as well as having some, you know, you can only do that with God and with Jesus and with his Holy Spirit and with his help. It's the only way. Yeah. It's the only way. It's the only way. It's like the, the lovesick bride, you know, in Song of Songs. I love this. I mean, it's, it's such a poetic book, but it talks of this the Shulamite woman who was, where is my bridegroom? Desperately looking for him, um, looking everywhere. Do you know what I mean? And and then in 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 Revelation twenty two verse seventeen, we see that same language again of that kind of like the spirit and the bride say, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come, the Maranatha cry of the church. Mm. You know, as we, the more we say that, come, Lord Jesus, come, we're hungry for you, we need you, we're desperate for you, then it, it moves the heart of God and, and, and it keeps us in that place of hungering for the presence of God. It, it, it's funny, Matt, we've been talking for an hour and 24 minutes and everything has led us back to Jesus. And um, I don't know about you, but I feel his Holy Spirit here with us now. You know, I feel um, more connected with you and I feel hopeful about him coming back and his kingdom. And I feel re reinvigorated to, to die to self, to live my life for Jesus, to maybe make some different decisions. Yeah. And, and that's just incredible so i want to thank you for that yeah bless you yeah from the bottom of my heart just sharing some of jesus i mean matt i've got about a thousand other questions but you know we've kind of run out of time and i'm going to bring it to a final thought and perhaps i'll have watched this back and we'll make loads of notes and we'll do a number two or maybe we have to do an end time series and and hopefully you'd come back and be a part of that yeah with us I, i'm uh, really sad that we've run out of time because i'm having such a a good time. I'm having a God time, Matt. Yeah. And uh, I just appreciate you bringing Jesus with you today. Really. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Um, so, so what are we saying? We're saying let's not get distracted yeah. by secondary issues. Yeah. Um, let that not be our apostasy. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, end times theology is super interesting. Yeah. And it can be super scary as well but actually 
let's try and find Jesus. Let's Jesus is the spine, right? He's the spine, you yeah. know. Um and let's find him in that and find hope and uh let let the teaching bring us back to eternal thinking. Yes. Um is there anything else you'd add, just like a final thought? I think I think that's that's good, mate, what you've just said. Because hope deferred makes the heart sick. Mm. And we as believers in Jesus, and maybe if you're tuning to this podcast and you're not a believer in Jesus, you know, follow we're not following some philosophy. We're not following uh, some, you know, ideology in the world. We're, we're following a person um, who became a man, a God, a God man, God, the eternal God who existed in heaven beforehand. He became a man, dwelt amongst us, lived 33 years on this life, was the first person who was resurrected from the dead, claimed to be God, um, is coming back again as the Jewish Messiah, but also the King of the whole world. And all who profess and put their hope in him will never be disappointed. And so although there's going to be great tribulation in the world, as we know, Jesus says in these, wo in these words, John 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. Right. You will have tribulation, right. but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so whatever trouble we're facing, either now or in the imminent, imminent future, we know that there is one who is coming back again to wipe every tear from mm. our eye mm. and to show us how to live in a relationship with him and in a relationship with each other. So Bible, it, you read um, Isaiah 2 and you will see that in the end of the days, the nations will be coming to Jesus to be having their, their disputes sorted out. And the weapons that they made to fight each other will be bashed into plowshares and they'll be put to good use. So this is a glorious hope that we have. Mm. It's so beautiful. The future is so bright. People are like, so get locked into this kind of like end time thing that it's going to be dark and oh, but no, listen, these are like, light and momentary troubles and uh, you you're so on the money ian we have to keep that eternal perspective that there will be a new jerusalem new earth uh we even touched on that today and and um there's a place in heaven for everybody there is and it's like you said for people not watching i think the big question is um not did Jesus exist, right? We've got another episode coming up, Matt, on, on whether Jesus was a real person or not, you know, like in terms of the historical evidence and all that based on a couple of documentaries. Super interesting. I mean, the answer is yes, he was. Come on. But but I think that's like, the first question is, did he exist? So the answer is yes, absolutely. You know, and the decision that people need to make today really is, well, was he God incarnate? Was he the son of God? And, I think the decision you're making is it, if the answer for you is yes, and then you find all this stuff really difficult in the Bible, if you if you can understand that God loves you, there's a place in heaven for you. So where do you want your eternity? Do you want it in hell, heaven or hell? I'm going to put it straight. Yeah. Right? You, you can make that choice and you'll figure the rest out. It's like you said, you work, we're going to be working that out for the rest of our lives. Yeah. But we first have to take that decision to say, yeah, Jesus was the son of God and I'm going to accept him as my saviour. And then 
we work this out and then none of it matters because we spend yeah. eternity in heaven with God. Yeah. And we might be, listen to this for a stretch, we might be lucky enough to even see the tribulation happen. What a privilege. What a blessing. Born for such a time as this, mate. Right. I don't think I have anything else to say, Matt, apart from just thank you. Thank you for coming and sharing. We've we've got so much more to discuss. I knew we wouldn't get through Revelation in an hour and a half. I was crazy to think that I might. <laughs> um, you, Ian. But I think we've had a really solid conversation. And Come on. Um, I just want to encourage everybody at home, you know, if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to hear more, uh, ask some questions in the comments, uh, you know, leave some suggestions, uh, put your favourite preachers, your favourite books in there. Let's share as a community with people, encourage people to find Jesus in Revelation. Um, a big thank you to Matt and his family and for that doctor who prayed for your mum. You know, we thank God for him. Amen. And we thank God for you and your family. Bless you. And we pray for you here at God TV all the time. Thank you. I want to thank the production crew in the other room. So yeah. we've got uh, Trevor, Richard, Dimitri and Noah uh, who all work hard so that we can have this conversation. Amazing. And so that it looks beautiful and sounds good, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least the quality will sound good. I'm not sure about my drivelly Northern accent, but, yeah. you know, uh, we, thank, we thank the guys for their hard work. Um, and, and finally, you know, if anything on today's show has affected you uh, and you just want prayer please do go into the comments we'll put the call the prayer call line there there'll be somebody waiting to pray for you uh, they're not counsellors and um, there's no charge it's absolutely free and they, they would love to pray for you today uh, and just stand with you in any of your troubles because you know there will be troubles um, but they would love to remind you of that eternal perspe perspective that uh God loves you and there's a place in heaven for you. And on that, I sign out uh, from everybody here at God TV. So God bless you. We love you. Uh, and we'll see you next time on the Together Podcast.